Greetings! You're listening to Horror Nerds at Church, a ridiculously queer podcast where we take a deep dive into a horror film and talk about how it connects to queerness, religion, and theology. My name is Pace Warfield May, and I am in desperate need of a manicure so I can get some super <laughs> femme nails just like our our boo, uh, Freddie. Nice, nice. And I'm Pastor Emily, and I am the house that has simultaneously no meaning or significance and all the meaning and significance. Hmm. Kind of sounds like when Christians do like Holy Land tours and stuff like that. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So uh, <laughs> the, for those of you joining, this is our fancy retrospective episode where we look back at our entire season and basically Mostly talk about Nightmare on Elm Street, but we'll talk a little bit about some of the other movies we watched as well. Mm-hmm. Um, before we get into that, though, what have how have you been? Reading anything? Watching anything cool? Tell me all the things. Yes, all the things. Um, life in our house has been a bit rough. Um, as our listeners will know from the last episode, we had some family stuff come up. Um, and so that is... Hopefully, finally, kind of starting to settle down now, um, which is really helpful. But I have finally gotten back into reading. I hadn't been reading. It had been really hard for me to read since the pandemic started. Um, And I'm not, I don't know what all that was about. I'm sure there's some psychological thing, something. Um, And um, Stephanie, who was a guest on our Vampirina Boo child, suggested she's a librarian so she she suggested (laughs) i was like maybe i'll do a reading challenge or something and she was like my general advice is start easy do something you love so i have read and reread the graceling realms novels there are five of them now and i am on the fifth one which it's my first time reading the um and i absolutely love them they are fun the author is an author who like did an ableist thing without realizing it in the first one and listened to people who wrote in and changed Mm. and like adjusted how the subsequent book with that same character was so that it was not ableist and it was like this really beautiful thing and um the current protect like the main character in this book feels neurodivergent for sure but possibly like also coded as autistic which i love because that's it's starting to be a more common thing so anyway i have been loving that um i also just watched wakanda forever and oh part of part (laughs) of the stuff in our household has been death and so that was just like oh knife to the gut um but it was really good to watch and we're here which is like queer eye but queerer and in drag (laughs) yeah 
it, on HBO. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it was like I was surprised at how much I liked. I just watched two episodes. Yeah, I was surprised. Did you see the Gettysburg one back in my old haunts? No, we were in Selma and Evansville, Indiana, were the two mm. episodes that I watched. So cool, cool. Yeah. I've only seen a few, but I definitely saw the Gettysburg. In fact, I think it was the Gettysburg one that made me decide to finally watch the show. I do like Shangela and Bob, but um, Eureka has always been not a favorite of mine from Drag Race for I, problematic reasons. So I have never watched Ru- RuPaul's Drag Race. You're probably better and, off for it. Yeah, <laughs> and I have complicated feelings about drag broadly and act- and. So I was a little bit unsure about we're here, but they do it really well in a way that mm-hmm. is really affirming um, yeah. for trans people. Yeah. So I was like, okay. okay. And one of the things I will say about drag race as it is now, not as the journey it took to get here, which has been lots of problematic and pushback from various communities, including the trans community. But as it is now, it's much more, um, there are a lot more, openly trans contestants and stuff like that. And they talk mm. about gender and stuff in ways that just the early days of the show did not. Um, so, mm-hmm. so it's grown, which is good. Yeah. Um, although RuPaul is still like king of his fracking empire. So I'm not going to get in there. Okay. Um, <laughs> but uh, about you? I've been, I've been okay. Um, I said on the last episode's introduction that I would share this story on this episode, which is my computer. Uh, I have a lovely dog. His name is Gandalf. Mm -hmm. I've introduced him to listeners before. And you can sometimes hear him bark or growl in the background. I try to edit it out, but have always been successful. Mm -hmm. Um, But my computer was charging. My lovely dog decided to get zoomies. And pull on the cord that was attached to the computer, which pulled the computer off the counter, banged the floor, and landed somehow on his water dish that the water dish flipped over onto the computer. And so the entire keyboard got soaked. So I had to take it. It's a Mac. So I had to take it into Apple Care. It's going to cost me $300 because of the water damage. Thankfully, I have Apple Care or else it would have been significantly more expensive. Um, so that's where my computer is, and that's why past editor Matt has thankfully stepped in to edit these two episodes. So Yeah, um, that I you told me that you got some water on it, but that's like a whole adventure of like <laughs> that's like a uh Rosenberg experiment or Rosenberg Oh oh yeah 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 of how to wreck your laptop. Right, right. So that was so that was fun adventure. Um so still waiting for that to come back. It probably they said it'll take a week and it I only put it in the shop like five days ago, so mm-hmm. um still a little bit more. Uh as to what I've been watching, I have been watching the Star Wars media in chronological order to their universe. So mm-hmm. I just finished so basically that means watching through the films but also all the other shows and stuff like that so i've been watching i just finished the clone war show which goes mm. on forever it was seven seasons long um and now and i finished uh 
Revenge of the Sith. So now I'm getting ready to start some of the other intermediary shows like The Bad Batch, I think, is first up. And then after that, there's stuff like Obi-Wan and Han Solo movie and the Star Wars Rebel show. So a long journey yet to go, but it's been fun. Um, and I've been reading. I want to make sure to mention both these things. So one thing I've been reading is lenny duncan's yes, uh dear revolutionaries which we're going to have so them good. on the podcast later this month to talk about that and to talk about the apple tv uh show uh do you remember what it's called foundation? i'm blanking on the name foundation, foundation. yes based off yeah. isaac asimov's um novels so i'm really excited to do that i've not seen the foundation yet so but i'm excited to do that as i'm reading through this fun uh, book and also just so you know listeners that will be dropped on our main feed usually we only do boot tubes on our uh patreon but every now and again we give a little treat to all y'all <laughs> of a what glimpse, a boot tube entails so a sneak peek into what right right or what you could have exactly, the, exactly. The, yeah to entice you to become our patreon for only five dollars a month Cheaper mm-hmm. than picking up Lenny's book, but you should definitely pick up Lenny's book because it is worth it. <laughs> mm-hmm. Cheaper than fixing a laptop. Much cheaper than fixing a laptop. Um, about $295 cheaper. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and the other book I'm reading um, is an advanced review copy I got from Ben Monroe, friend of the podcast, mm. and his book is coming out in March. It's Ooh. called The Seething. So um, I'm really enjoying it it's really ben is just one of the best storyteller like i i'm just so privileged to know him in real life uh and Mm -hmm. get to know his works and stuff and he's just such a great storyteller and a scary storyteller so definitely check that out and we'll probably have him on some future iteration of the podcast uh we already have some plans for future seasons but not getting into that today Mm -hmm. uh well that's what i've been reading eventually yeah yeah nice yeah i have loved um lenny's book so far i so frequently with theological stuff people just get so heady and sometimes it's like there's like marcella altaustreed i think is not heady in spanish maybe but then like whoever translated her into english was like oh we're gonna make it really heady which makes I mean, it she wrote it in English herself, so <laughs> yeah, like the 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 ways that English yeah, in particular like makes theological writing inaccessible. Mm-hmm. And Lenny is one of the best theological, the one of the best theological writers who writes accessibly, so you don't need a master's of theology to actually like understand what he's talking about in the book what Mm -hmm. to understand what they're talking about in the books uh yeah 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 so yeah i'm super excited to have them on this could be a fun Mm -hmm. conversation um and also uh if you go back and listen to our adam's family episode with l dowd she talks about a class that she and lenny are doing and i'm sure lenny will talk about some more too when they are on the episode but uh about the book so that's also another opportunity yeah i was really excited about the episode the class and then it happened right after like all of the household stuff started happening it started and i was like well maybe next time (laughs) yep yep Mm -hmm. uh well 
for our retrospective, for those of you who have not joined us for a retrospective before, um, basically we just go through the entire episode, uh, the entire season, kind of talk about some of the big themes we've tracked throughout, uh, especially in the franchise we were watching, which in this case is Nightmare on Elm Street. And then we rank the films um, and then we'll put, but before we rank the films or maybe in between ranking the films, we'll play a little game with <laughs> Emily's one sentence summaries uh, and a few of mine. And then uh, we end by giving y'all a list of the movies we're going to be covering in season five. So definitely stay tuned for that because we'll share all of those and when season five will be starting. So, mm-hmm. well, We've had a few themes that show up again and again in the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. And so I guess we'll dive right in with the one that you referenced in (laughs) your intro about theology of place and this weird connection to this house. (laughs) Yeah, so this is something you knew and had on your radar as we started. And I, like got introduced to it as we went because as we as our listeners know i've never seen any of these before (laughs) um and as someone for whom place is a big deal um in a in weird ways um it was interesting to me to to watch it go from this just happens to be nancy's house to now somehow it is freddie's house and mm. all of the nightmares co- like circle on that one house. And part of me wonders if there's a connection with like that's where Freddie's glove was kept. And so they're like almost like relics, right? Mm. In the Catholic sense of like this is a relic from St. Freddie. Um, but because that's where it's kept, then that place itself also becomes holy. Like I don't think that Freddie is a saint. I don't think that like yeah, yeah. anything he does, but like that sense of it is the fact of and the reality of his glove being buried, being kept, being stored, being like make having its home be made there that makes the house that important. I don't know. I just made that up yeah. just now. No, I like it. That's a good way to look at it, especially um, because it was – it was his glove for sure. I was about to say his hat too, but no, his hat was pulled out of the dream by Nancy. Mm-hmm. I forgot, but yeah, yeah, I like that interpretation of it because it really makes no sense. Um, the second one makes sense because it's literally a kid living in the house, so that mm-hmm. makes sense to the connection. But beyond that, it's just like what, um, and and then also this, but there's a few locations that keep returning to. So the house isn't every single one but then they also have the um sanitarium to use outdated language for it where Mm. it which was a setting of the third film but then they keep returning to it because that's where his uh in the tower where his mom was allegedly locked over a break of some sort Mm -hmm. a holiday season of some sort yeah which is Um, not how that works but right um so they keep coming back to that uh and that one makes more sense to me right like there's actual trauma in that specific place in and before freddie's lifetime yeah that like it makes sense to me that that would continue to like to come back to yeah and then the other one is the boiler room which Mm -hmm. doesn't 
which is never fully explained. Um, and like there are different explanations that are given in the second film. Like apparently that's where he was caught and killed, I believe, mm-hmm. which is why they go back there. But it, and then in the remake, apparently the he was the maintenance person and lived downstairs by the boiler area of the preschool that he worked at. So there are all sorts like, of different versions of that. Yeah, but it's like totally different. The boiler room in the original feels like it is this giant factory mm-hmm. of boiler rooms, which it doesn't quite make sense because you're not going to heat an entire town from like this boiler room to send all of the hot water through pipe like that. But it's not clear to me like what even... I don't know. Yeah. That one has like I get that it's important because that's where he was presumably killed, but other than that I'm like I don't even understand what that place was. Yeah, what the function was. was. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. make sense. Maybe yeah, I don't know. I think I think there's like a throwaway line about being an abandoned power plant, but like what? Mm. Then why? But if it was the abandoned then why? Yeah, I don't know. It makes no sense. Um Clearly, this mo- this franchise was not super well thought out. <laughs> yeah. I mean, they like switched who were the thinkers for it multiple times throughout the series. Yep, yeah. yep. I also am a like internal consistency kind of person. So when there are internal inconsistencies, I'm like, no. <laughs> yeah. yeah, yeah. Doesn't make sense. Welcome to continuity of '80s horror. They're all kind of like that. Um, another surprise surprise another theme we've been tracking were dreams Uh, (laughs) I actually love the way that this season has become a season of dreams Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. because obviously Nightmare on Elm Street is all about dreams and there's a lot of like um, there's a lot of like thinking about what it means to be in dreams and not in dreams. And then there's also the like the one-offs that we've had with like our boo tube, our Doctor Who boo tube, right? There's the like mm-hmm. dreams. If you die in dreams, you wake up. But in Nightmare on Elm Street, if you die in dreams, you are dead. Mm-hmm. You are not mm-hmm. waking up. Um, or like Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness where dreams are an alternate universe self and how they're experienced um, which i really like, don't like <laughs> yeah but then there's also the like just surrealness mm-hmm. in suspiria and children of the corn like there where it's like is this a dream it's not or like wicker man where it like breaks mm-hmm. onto musical randomly and you're like, <laughs> like how is this not a fever dream of some sort <laughs> yeah um, and then even like the shining, how uh, Hollerin, uh, Dick Hollerin describes the um, ghosts that Danny may encounter at the shining uh, at the hotel as like pictures in a book. And there's kind of like this dreamlike quality to that as well. Mm-hmm. And then the dreams start becoming reality as the hotel wakes up and stuff. So very interesting. Yeah. Which also makes me wonder, like, and I, I said this in our movie commentary and Um, just finished listening to our Shining episode because it just came out. Um, And it's fantastic if you have not checked it out. Um, Pace and the Horror Queers did the Shining episode while I was unavailable. Um, 
it's fantastic. But then like after that, Pace and I recorded the Shining movie commentary so I could still like watch it because I'm from Colorado and it's like a rite of passage or whatever um, <laughs> in horror stuff. But the like the the thing that I wish had carried over from the books is more of a sense of the hotel as its own sentient being mm-hmm. because then it does make more sense like i i get where it's coming from in a like it's starting to wake up and then i'm like oh yeah okay this makes sense like it's starting to wake up and yep. these traumatic experiences or like these people who were there are coming back like some people wake up faster than others hotels mm-hmm. apparently wake up slowly um, but it, I didn't get that sense from the movie. It wasn't until you had talked yeah. about it that I was like, oh, okay. I can kind of see that. Like yeah. almost like it goes to sleep when there's a million guests there. And then the reason is because if you want to hear the book reason, the yeah. book reason is because Danny's psychic ability was like food for the hotel. And so while Dick hollering and other people might have some, minor psychic abilities danny's shining was so powerful that it was basically like this supersized meal to the hotel that it was able to wake up so much more rapidly and quickly with him staying there in the course of that one season okay well my theory (laughs) is that um it's kind of like people who live in the city like that when the hotel is full there's just such a higher level of just general background noise that the hotel learns to sleep, like falls asleep to the noise, right? People who fall, mm. who like, <laughs> one of my best friends, like can sleep through vacuuming because their parent vacuumed when they were a kid. And so like that sort of thing where actually mm-hmm. noise helps go to sleep. Um, and so all of the guests are like white noise machines for the hotel. <laughs> um And then when all of that stops, the hotel is potentially still asleep, but then it is the activity of just like three peep that becomes the like dripping faucet. And so that's the like, that's my theory. I like it. I like it. And of course, I don't think we talked about it that much in the Shining episode because it was, because like I said in the episode, this movie has been dissected so much, but a popular (laughs) theory of... (laughs) The Shining is that of the film itself, not the book or the source material, is that nothing actually supernatural happens in oh, yeah. The Shining. It's, it's all just, except for the unlocking the door, yeah. Uh, and even that can be kind of explained. Uh, maybe Wendy didn't lock it enough or whatever. And so, yeah. uh, strong an enough old, or whatever. It's yeah. An old place. So then it's like, it's just this cabin fever that Stanley Kubrick, the director, is trying to show. I personally believe that it's. Like, and he's actually trying to show a haunted hotel, but mm-hmm. um, I still, I, I respect the theory of, it's not really haunted, it's just this cabin, what happens when you put a domestic violent, a, per, a man prone to domestic violence um, alone with his family for four months, what kind of mm-hmm. In the awful winter, things might happen. there's less sun. And... Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, dreams. <laughs> All that to get back to dreams. Indeed. What was your favorite? Okay, doesn't matter. Question. In the realm of dreams, what was your favorite non-nightmare on Elm Street? Like of the ones that are non-nightmare on Elm Street, 
movies that we watched, what was your favorite one that dealt with dreams or like that was dreamy or like what was your favorite dream connection outside of Nightmare on Elm Street? That's what I'm trying to do. Hmm. I know my least favorite. Mm-hmm. And I mentioned this in the episode too, uh, which is the Doctor Who episodes on dreams. I hate mm-hmm. those ones. Like, I, I remember in the episode, like, saying, You picked two of my least favorite Doctor Who episodes to cover. Um, I only picked one. And I mean, River I picked, picked the other one, one. River picked one, and you picked one. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but yeah. So, as far as my favorite, I don't know. Do you have a favorite? Oh. Was not ready for that question. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I think honestly, my favorite dreamy one was probably Doctor Strange and the Multiverse of Madness. I just, I really like the Marvel Cinematic Universe. I Mm. like it less and less, right? It's (laughs) more and more conflated and harder and harder to follow and easier and easier to miss a key movie. Um, But I did like the way that it dealt with dreams and connected dreams and multiverse theory and opened the space for us to then like also trace multiverse theory. Mm -hmm. Um, So I think that one is probably my, Suspiria is probably my least. (laughs) Yeah, I have learned, uh, well, I think we both have learned this season that Emily's fiveness requires some sort of linear stuff makes internal consistency as even named sort of level two films Mm -hmm. and that's not something that uh suspiria for instance does well (laughs) yeah suspiria was like this fever dream that yep uh i also just want a quick say here while we're talking about dreams uh a quick recap of the dream the theology of dreams almost of the or the world building i guess would be a better term of dreams in the nightmare on elm street franchise because trying to track as they keep adding more and more to the lore of it it just gets weirder and weirder right so the general idea is that at freddy's death he was approached by these three dream demons Mm -hmm. that gave him immortality in the dream and great powers in the dream world Mm -hmm. and those powers made him the keeper of the nightmare gate of Mm -hmm. dreams and that there is also a keeper of the good dream gate in this weird false binary Mm -hmm. and then the keeper of the good dream gate is called the dream master and that turns out to be alice uh after a variety of things, but kids and but kids and anybody, I guess, can have dream powers. They just need to be aware that it's a dream, um, and then mm-hmm. they can access those dream powers to combat Freddy. And also, Freddy does not uh, apparently Freddy seeing his reflection is a way to temporarily kill him. Bringing him into the real world is a way to temporarily kill him. Um, but Turn the only way to back on him. Yeah, removing his powers uh, mm-hmm. is another way to temporarily kill him. But the way to permanently kill him, in theory, but he comes back for Freddy versus Jason, is to remove sever his connection to the three deem, dream demons and then bring him into the real world. So mm-hmm. that's... Yeah, I thought <laughs> it, it's interesting because obviously for the original, there's like no need to say why he keeps coming back because... 
time that they're encountering him and um, all of that. But then for like all of the subsequent ones, we have to have like a reason why just turning your back apparently didn't last. Um, And so I think it is interesting. And the like different theories about dreams. One of my roommates has a dream power, which kind of, which is that when she's in the scary dream, she can realize it's a dream and wake herself up. So uh-huh. she would be really handy in Nightmare on Elm Street because she could just wake herself up, right? She could. Yeah. Or if they're trying to pull Freddy out of the dream, she could pull, grab him. and um, Yeah. But then there's the like pulling other people into the dreams. So some of them like make sense that like, okay, if you're in a dream and you, you can like beef yourself up and be super tough or whatever. Um, yeah. But then ultimately it still is like, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. I don't have a lot there, but <laughs> yeah, you will. Yeah. Um, another thing we've been tracking in the Nightmare franchise is parents or authority figures or adults just in general not trusting kids. And this mm-hmm. comes up again and again and again. And I think it's one of the reasons why the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise to this day is one of the more popular franchises is because mm-hmm. Wes Craven and the directors who came after him and writers who came after him really caught on to this notion of like kids, can, uh, kids, teenagers can really feel not listened to and not empowered by the adults mm-hmm. in their life. And so that's a real thing. And how can we capture this fear and display it in film? And yeah. I think this franchise does a decent job of showing these are the harms, what happens when you are not honest with your kids about past traumas and also when you don't listen to them about their current situation and traumas. Yeah, and you don't believe them. Even if you well, and even if you don't totally believe that there's a like person in their nightmares who can actually kill them, like believing them enough that when they are screaming bloody murder to avoid being put to avoid being sedated it's not hard to do like it is not hard to be like okay is there another way that we can do yeah yeah but also i think what i think is interesting is this comes up a little bit also in like dr strange in the multiverse of madness in children of the corn in everything everywhere all at once like there Mm -hmm, is mm -hmm. this sense of this dismissal right the doctor dismisses um the i forget what dr strange dismisses um i forget the character's name now that we're like but um dismisses the person who can jump between oh america chavez yeah dismisses america because she's just a kid um the children of the corn literally it's children who like wipe out all of the adults um yeah and and everything everywhere all at once is about the relationship between a mother and daughter. I mean, it's about a lot of things, but among them, a mother and daughter where the mother consistently is not listening. Yeah. 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 And do we even get that a little bit in the shining with like Danny warning his parents about not going to the hotel and stuff. And yeah. And Krampus. not being really listened to. Yeah. yeah Krampus, Krampus. Yeah. Like- uh, um, another thing about the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise is just how it, each entry gets more and more religious in their imagery. Uh, Which I just to the point added of like to having by to calling him a saint and talking about religion. Yeah. But like he has to be buried in holy ground, for instance. We find out 
in one of the in the third installment that his mom was a nun. We find out that like all these crucifixes start to, I mean, from the very first one is like part of the little yeah, nursery rhyme is uh, grab your crucifix and stuff. And it just seems to build and build and build mm-hmm. um, until like in I think it's Dream Child where no or maybe it was uh dream master where like they're having their final face off in this huge like stained glass window cathedral mm, of some yeah. sort in the dream world it's just like okay <laughs> yeah there's there's definitely and you talked about this in the shining too with horror careers but and we've talked about it i think the horror in general as a genre has a propensity for more religiosity than a lot of other genres like it is more naturally built into the genre um and i think part of it is because religion has so much to do with life and death and good and bad and evil and horror plays out of comes out of those concepts in -hmm. general that Mm -hmm. like part of it is that there is an evil a something, a villain, a something that terrorizes it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. And then just, but also just, they keep bringing more and more religion in, but they still can't figure out how to like show a accurate graveside funeral. Right. <laughs> oh my gosh. They're like middle, the, the, and they have so many of them. So right. many burials. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then I also just wanted to mention, uh, we've been teasing this all along, but like which continuity of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise is which gospel? Since there are four different continuities in this one franchise, mm-hmm. and there are four gospels, or four canon gospels, I'll say, uh, which are... So let's quick go over the continuities. There's the film continuity that starts with Nightmare on Elm Street, um, the original film, and goes through uh, Freddy versus Jason. That's all one kind of continuity. There's the Freddy's Nightmares TV show, which has its own kind of take on Freddy. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. There's the 2010 remake. Mm -hmm. And then there is Wes Craven's New Nightmare, which is its own thing. Okay. Okay. That's helpful. Um, okay. Here is my theory. My theory is that I think I want Freddy's nightmares to be the gospel of John for the practical okay. purpose of it is the most like, unlike the rest, right? It is the most out there. There's hardly overlap, really. Like we covered the episodes that are actually like Freddy being the nightmare. Mm. Um, but the majority of Freddy's nightmares are just completely unrelated to the, to the other three. True. So the other three are like the synoptics and it's the gospel of John, um, which then puts, this is okay. So then I would like (laughs) naturally do the like original series of films would make sense to be Mark because the originals. Um, but then it also gives a little bit of space for the later ones to be like the additional later additions to Mark, where like people <laughs> were not happy with the way Mark, the Gospel of Mark ended, which is with the first witnesses of the resurrection, like running away scared right. and not telling anyone. Um, which I was totally just thinking of that too. I love it. Yeah. 
Um, and so then like um, the extra movies are like that. Um, and then it leaves Luke and Matthew for the remake and the new nightmare. And I think I want, I think I'm going to say that the remake, the 2010 remake is Matthew because it works so hard to quote basically like the movie version of quoting the originals (laughs) right and Matthew Uh is uh so much about like look this is where it comes from like Hebrew scripture and this and like quoting all of the prophets and all of that stuff and and like taking it out of context and like not doing a great job Matthew is my fourth favorite of the gospels um so (laughs) Um, yeah so so I think the remake is Matthew and then the new nightmare is Luke and this one is the hardest to like place because there are some ways that it feels like the new nightmare should be John because it tells the story from such a different perspective but I already made the tv show John for other reasons so the new nightmare (laughs) then becomes Luke so the new nightmare has some like has the same basic plot points right as the original stuff like there's the same kind of general concepts um but it also has a lot more it returns to a it returns more to the original in that there's more women and like there's parts of Nightmare on Elm Street that kind of get away from what Wes Craven was trying to do with the original, which was to not just have like helpless women, but like women actually fight back and survive because not just because they're the like final mm-hmm. girl or whatever. Um, so I think there's some of that and there's some that just like it gets at some of the injustice and stuff that like is embodied by Freddie, but also is just like in the space where like, Nancy the way that Nancy is treated when like Robert England like comes out and surprises her on the talk show as Freddie and like she's been having scary experiences of a stalker and of harassment um and I think Luke as a gospel tries to get more at like economic injustice and so I think Wes Craven's new nightmare tries to get more at misogyny (laughs) and sexism Hmm. Interesting. I like your take. What's your take? Okay. Um, similar <laughs> but different. Similar but different. Okay. Uh, so Mark would be the original because Mark is the original gospel. Mm-hmm. And I agree. I was absolutely on the same page about like the post-resurrection additions to Mark <laughs> and maybe even the secret uh, gospel of Mark and stuff like that uh, are all kind of the later installments of the Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Mm-hmm. Um, I also agree that the 2010 remake is the gospel of Matthew because it tries so hard to be like the original, but, and also <laughs> do its own thing, but kind of fails at both. Sorry, gospel writer of Matt. Um, and then, but I will say there is something that makes me kind of want to call it the gospel of John, just because the remake has the movie end with a final girl and final guy and that makes me think of john's resurrection where it's like sure the women see that there's an empty tomb and mary magdalene 
calls uh, sees Jesus and thinks he's a gardener, but it's really the beloved disciple and um, Peter, Simon Peter, who like truly discover the God. So it's like more of a men and women discovering Jesus's resurrection in John. So I feel a little bit of that for 2010, but um, I, I still think 2010 is probably Matthew. Uh, but here's where I disagree. I feel like the TV show, mm-hmm. Freddy's Nightmares, is Luke because we get this slightly different version of Freddy's origin story, his birth mm-hmm. narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a little bit more expansive than the movies and show, showed in more detail. And then we get this entire like that's, that's, other episode. Really well, like, the nativity and Luke. Yeah. Right. And then we get these other episodes, um, which kind of make me think of acts. It's like, we're just going to follow all these other things. And Freddy shows up, but not like in person, because Freddy's already like resurrected into ascended into heaven. Freddy, like completely as Jesus. I got it. Yeah, of course. Of course. Um, Because we get the birth narratives and all of these. And then Wes Craven's new nightmare is John, because it gets so philosophical so mm, philosophical so meta yeah it's very meta very very like interested in philosophy very interested in the powers of good versus evil and light versus darkness and of course recognizing the problematization of that language but that's still mm-hmm. a, it was a 1994 film they didn't yeah. problematize that the way that us modern people would but um that so that's, that's why i think new nightmare is kind of very much its own like we have the source material and we're going to play with the source material, but really we're trying to tell some, do something a little bit yeah, different here and a different... with different goals in mind. So, All right. Yeah. I like that. I like yeah. both of ours. I think they both work. Me too. Me too. For different reasons very well. I thought we were going to agree, but I, I'm, I like that we disagreed on two of them. It made it, made it fun. Yeah. So. I'm not surprised that we didn't agree because my, my categorization was, like more practical not in a I don't I don't know that there's a better word for it but like was more about like the logistics and like just the like this is literally the thing <laughs> um and yours gets a lot more theological about it and I love that I love fair, that we have both fair. of those yeah 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 um and then the other thing I guess we were we've been tracking is multiverse stuff because this shows up a lot too surprisingly with the first film and then it just keeps coming back. So yeah, I thought that it was really interesting to like dive into the multiverse theory and the like, and and there's more hints at it for um, for the Freddy films, right? Like where there's like one more time. Um, yeah, so I think it's. The multiverse theory certainly is like more of a thing in some of the movies that we watched, but there's this like different, there's these different points in the Nightmare on Elm Street that prompt the question of like, what could have been like if, if a decision had been different, if Freddie had not been bullied as a kid, would he still have grown up in that same way? Um, those sorts of things that like spark that, but then there's like, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness and like the actual like dreams are glimpses into another multiverse and America Chavez can like jump between them but also like she just doesn't have an another self mm-hmm. in another multiverse because she doesn't dream um and then like everything everywhere all at once is this like split but also this 
like almost sensate style, you can get the skills of other mm -hmm. selves and pull them in by doing weird things with butt plugs. Um, <laughs> right. But like each of those is very, like those two are like very different ways of yeah. experiencing the multiverse because in, like one is going out into the other multiverse and one is pulling the other multiverse into yeah. the current universe or the other. And the, everything everywhere multiverse also ha is a very deterministic multiverse theory in that like every action we do branches off multiverses mm -hmm. and stuff like that mm -hmm. which is kind of an interesting fun way to look at multiverse whereas the marvel cinematic universe's multiverse never it just is basically these multiverses exist and they're all different real but it doesn't like explain how they branch off from one another or those kind of things yeah well and especially when you take into account in the marvel cinematic universe like loki and that whole like that show path of like trying to keep the multiverses from branching off but then also mm -hmm. the what if series as like spoilers in some ways creating multiverse other universes yeah um yeah. And the most recent Spider-Man No Way Home as well, which which has a whole bunch of multiverse stuff in there too. So I have not seen that one yet, but I... I think you'd like that one. It's interesting. Mm -hmm. um, yeah, so... But I'm curious, I'm curious too if any of our listeners have like particular theories on any, on like theology of place, dreams, multiverse, the God, mm -hmm. which... Which one is which gospel? Yeah. Um, definitely let us know because I'm just super curious now. I would love to hear that. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then I guess before we get into ranking, we'll, we'll, we'll start with ranking the non-Freddy films. But um, I did say that I would talk a little bit about Freddy versus Jason versus Ash because it is the last film canon continuity of Freddy media. Um, and so basically, Ash is from the Evil Dead franchise, Jason from Friday the 13th, and then Freddy, of course, from Iron Elm Street. I don't and know that Evil Dead at all. Yeah. There, there's a new movie coming out uh, this year, so we might have to find a place mm. to squeeze it in maybe one day. Um, but Evil Dead franchise is fun. Ash is the protagonist. He's kind of a, he's kind of one of those like, heroes that is meant to be like an asshole and yet so so you're like you're not necessarily supposed to be like rooting for him because he's like openly a brash jerk and womanizer and stuff but he's like and, and like the film critiques that as mm -hmm. he's the hero but then of course all the people who watch the movie years later are like oh he's so cool he's my role model and he's a real hero of the franchise so there's that kind of tension there um with at the character of ash but um yeah so freddy versus jason versus ash it was a comic book series that ran from 2007 to 2008 it's pretty fun um i it's hard to find if you like single issues go for um sale at wild prices on ebay and stuff like that but um basically short summary is the survivors of Freddy versus Jason, the two teens, mm -hmm. uh, go back to Crystal Lake where, that surprise, like surprise, idea. Jason is not dead and he murders him. <laughs> and then, um, 
but we find out that Freddie is still alive, but his consciousness is now trapped inside of Jason. And so mm-hmm. Freddie poses so as Freddie and Jason are basically same. More like or like an internal warfare. An internal thing. Yeah. Okay. More of an internal like warfare thing. So Freddie again poses as Jason's mom to get him to find the um the Necronomicon, which is the MacGuffin of the um, Evil Dead franchise. And so um Necronomicon is a book, uh, okay. a powerful that, book yeah. that supposedly is able to raise the dead from life. And a MacGuffin yep. is a term used in film to say basically the thing that makes the plot go. Okay. So, gotcha. um, so uh, the Necronomicon is the thing that keeps showing up in Evil Dead. Uh, and it was just as an Easter egg in one of the um, one of the Friday Thirteenth movies, yeah. and it just as an Easter egg in the background of one of the scenes. But they pulled that in, and it's like Freddy finds out that exists and goes and gets Jason to find the Necronomicon, which allows him to be resurrected. And then Ash is in town for some other reason, and then the three fight, and that's basically it. But it's a fun, it's a fun um, crossover. So I definitely recommend checking that out for all of you Freddy fans, especially comic book horror fans. Um, if you listen to our live show, we had someone shout out how much they love comic book horror. So mm-hmm. this is another uh, way you can pull that in, make those connections. Mm-hmm. Okay. You ready to rate our nun Freddy films? Yes. Are we doing the one-liners for these or just the- no uh, we'll do the one-liners but the one-liners will be in between the rankings okay. as a little game we play okay okay also i uh changed the order so <laughs> that's okay so that might but that just means i have to change my when we can talk about it Sorry. but it's okay we'll, we'll figure it out <laughs> um i just shifted one to the black and then okay so i think I think that will still work because mine are the same. Yep. Okay. So it's just the one that I need to move. Okay. So this, we, how we do this, we, um, I was inspired by the, uh, with Gorley and Russ podcast where they rank the films from worst to best, but they can't talk about why until they both have named the film. And then that also kind of creates a, unofficial official podcast ranking of the film too mm. about when we can talk about it so um i also have the ratings right here so i can pull those up but um from when we originally watched it so out of these which uh, i guess we'll start with you and the f- the one you rank the least is easy because it's one you didn't see so you weren't able to rank it <laughs> unranked Halloween ends. <laughs> yes. And that one I saw with Ben Monroe when we covered it. And the reason you did not join us for the episode is because for some reason, Emily did not feel like they had the time to watch what? 13 movies <laughs> in the franchise to get caught up before in, in like November. Was it October? Yeah. October. Cause yeah. it was our Halloween episode. Oh yeah. It came out on Halloween. So we were doing an Oktoberfest at church. <laughs> yeah. So it's all good. Um, my least favorite is Hocus Pocus 2. And I can't talk about it yet, but there we go. Solid, solid choice. Um, my, so my actual least favorite um, 
was Suspiria. Ooh. And my second was Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Ooh. Ooh. <laughs> we're, like, really different on this. I think the I last know. season, we were pretty similar. Probably because yeah. it was Twilight. So, we'll be yeah. pretty similar in our Nightmare on Elm Street spoiler alert, but for our one-offs, it's very interesting how different we are. Yeah. It's also, I said this to you, Brace, before we recorded, but it's weird for me to think all the way back and try to remember, like, based on everything else that has been mm-hmm. going on in both of our lives in the yep. last five months, <laughs> to try and remember Doctor Who in the Multiverse of Madness and Children of the Corn and also... <laughs> like the shining yep, um, yep. speaking of which my next one is the shining <laughs> and my next one is children of the corn <laughs> um and then i ranked children of the corn which means my we can one, two, my third least favorite which lines up with yours which actually my kind fourth. of lines up with yours because because i had a default halloween ends Mm-hmm. And you haven't mm-hmm. gotten there yet. So we actually kind of both ranked Children of the Corn the same. Yep. And uh, Children of the Corn, you gave an 8 out of 10 Nightmares. And I gave it a 6 out of 10 when we first watched it. Why did you put Children of the Corn right there? Um. So I put Children of the Corn there. It. I have a like particular affinity for Children of the Corn. Because as I talked about in the episode... Um, when I was on a study abroad in college, our our school was one of three schools that were doing this joint January term course um, in Ecuador, and our school, our professor was supposed to not be work, not be teaching that January term, and so just came down with us for like the first week and then was gone, and so we were children of the corn, where we were like <laughs> seemed to be very well behaved. But, like, where are the adults? Um, And so I have, like, a special place for it in my heart. But also, like, it was just weird and creepy. And I think, like, I think I had a lot of fun in the conversation and recording the episode. But, like, the movie itself, I don't have, like, a fondness for. Sure, sure. But I do have a fondness for being called a children, like, a child of the corn. I will say... um before I talk about Children of the Corn, that I like all the movies we covered this season with two exceptions. Um, and I'll talk about those two exceptions. So no matter where I rank anything, it's a good, uh, it's something I enjoyed. So Children of the Corn, I enjoy. It's a classic. It's fun. Mm-hmm. It came out in 1984. And so one of the funny juxtapositions is that we also covered Nightmare on Elm Street, which came out in 1984. And just the level of quality between the two is so stark <laughs> um, that I just... Uh, Children of the Corn is fun. It's spooky. It's creepy, but yeah, it's it's, it's not like it's, yeah. high quality. Yeah, filming effects. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So there we go. And then for this ranking, I ranked Terror Train next. Mm-hmm. Terror Train moves around a lot on my ranking, but <laughs> have not ranked sure. it yet. Um, so then I ranked Hocus Pocus too. Which we can now talk about, yeah. and which I can say is one of the movies I hate. <laughs> <laughs> this is one my the- surprise face. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I mean, Bette Midler, really, 
is the ruining it is the ruining of the hocus pocus giants for me at this um like anytime you're an unrepentant turf who also relies on drag shows and that's like that's part of what i was talking about when i was talking about watching we're here like this tension between um cis white people and drag Mm -hmm. and then actual trans people and that like that just was like so so frustrating for me in hocus pocus to have like drag perform like actual drag queens in the movie and yet Bette Midler's turfdom is you know not at JK Rowling levels but still Mm -hmm. not great Bob yeah yeah I just the first one is so fun and campy and queer and then this Mm -hmm. one was made by presumably cis het um cis straight woman and with the turfiness of Bette Midler, so like it just is trying so hard to be camp, to be queer, to be funny, without and it's not. Creators. Yeah, without bringing actual queer creators and stuff, and it's just so that's why I hate it. <laughs> it's yeah. it's the only movie of the non nightmares uh, one offs that we've done that I just hate, and I probably will never watch again. I've watched all I'll watch all the rest of these many times, but. Not that one, probably. So. Yeah, I will probably not watch it again. Um, and the only the the only like good good thing to come of it was um, Kay and I did for our Nerds at Church podcast episode for last week. So it will have come out like a week and a half before this one comes out. We did a deep dive into salt, and so I got to talk about Hocus Pocus in the salt circle, and then mm-hmm. also the like. Roomba that comes in and cleans yes. it up and frees them. I mean, um, I will say there are cute moments I that yeah. were genuinely funny and stuff. Still, yeah, but over, and funny. and I like and I think part of why, um, I think part of why I put it higher up is it, one of the things that it does do is it shifts from an almost exclusively white cast to a young black girl protagonist mm-hmm. and she is great and i she love is. like that part of the plot and story development of like her being a witch and, and like realizing that she's a witch and also like the connection of community and coven and like yeah. the reliance on not just herself but other people but then also making the black femme gay man be the person who is responsible for bringing the witches back and tricking yeah. her and all this stuff yeah that that again <laughs> not great bob <laughs> right, right. So, um, moving on from Hocus Pocus 2, though, uh, this is where I would rank Halloween Ends, which means we can talk about it, but since Emily hasn't seen it, can't say much about it other than it was a middle-of-the-road one, but I still enjoyed how it ended the franchise, uh, um, ended this iteration of the Halloween franchise, because <laughs> as we know with horror, Michael yeah, Myers will always be back. He won't stay dead for a long time. What is your one sentence summary of Halloween end? I didn't have one because I wasn't doing one sentence summaries at that time. Well, uh, consistently, whereas you were the one mostly doing them. True, Wait, do true. I have one? <gasps> I do have one. Okay, tell me. Happy endings can happen. Aww, cute. I have no idea what that means, but I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yep, yep. Um,. Yeah. Is there anything else you want to say about Halloween nope. ends? Okay. Um, so now we're on to number six from worst to best. <laughs> yes. 
Uh, so this one I did Terror Train. So we can talk about Terror Train. Indeed. Um, I liked that David Copperfield was in it. Like, I thought that that was a fun and cool way of doing, like, a magic show kind Mm -hmm. of thing. Um, I liked that there was someone who used a wheelchair, and that was not a horror thing, or Mm -hmm. that was not a horror thing, um, Mm -hmm. and that sort of thing. And... Yeah, and then just, like, the ways, but then the ways that, like, frat culture is just, like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. horrific and bad and those things. Uh, you rated this film a 6 out of 7, a uh, 6 out of 10, and I rated it a 7 out of 10. Um, mm-hmm. And, I don't know, middle of the road slasher, classic golden age slasher. I like it. Mm-hmm. Um, what's interesting is we covered three films, I want to say, that came out in 1980. This is one of them. The Shining is one of them. Uh, <laughs> maybe it's just those two. 1980s. That's just so. Like uh, Shining and this one were the two that came out in 1980, and just how different those two films are, even though they came out in the same year. Uh, yeah. But also, part of that is the genre of slashers just being its own weird thing. But yeah, and this was my first real slasher, right? Golden Age slasher, yeah. Yeah. Because Nightmare on Elm Street would be post Golden Age. That would be like Bronze Age or whatever. So Oh gosh. Do they really go that I just assumed that Golden Age Slasher was like the Golden Age of that. I didn't realize there was also bronze. Is there silver well, slasher? Platinum slasher? Yeah, yeah. Uh no, so so Golden Age Slasher probably begins around um, you can debate where it begins, but Texas Chainsaw Massacre, Black Christmas, like early seventies and really kind of hits its height in the early 80s and then silver age would be basically beginning with the friday the 13th franchise from 1980 through 1984 ish just a short window of time uh when friday the 13th was king at the box office and then bronze age would be when you start bringing in supernatural elements to your slashers with Mm -hmm. things like a dream demon or like a doll that is brought to life through voodoo such as chucky so Mm, so that's bronze age and then you would say that the like um the renaissance of slashers to use like a disney renaissance term would be with scream in 1996 so when slashers brought their comeback so Interesting. Yeah, That's yeah. information I had never knew I know. <laughs> With things I n- never knew, you never knew. To quote Pocahontas. Uh, so then, I guess after Terror Train for you would be Wicker Man for me, which mm. you have not yet ranked, so can't talk about it yet. Speaking okay. of Wicker the is this the fifth or the seventh? I'm counting up this would now. be five uh seven for i don't know <laughs> one two three four five six seven so this is seventh from worst to best and it's seventh from best to worst oh are there 14 films yeah look at that or 13 i can do math there's 13 okay because odd anyway yeah um so my very very most middle movie is wicker man yay we could talk about it yeah <laughs> i loved our conversation about it i thought it was, it was really, really fun great. like howard david ingham was fantastic 
um, mm-hmm. and had so much knowledge of like British horror. <laughs> I was like, oh, all and of folk this horror stuff and that, all that, like, yeah. I would be totally clueless on. Um, but as I watched it with of the podcast supporter and she was like this is awful it is just like misogyny all over the place and and howard david ingham agreed with her right that it's it's a conservative horror film um and so like there's part of me that's like yeah but like the cop gets killed (laughs) and like this is a white guy dies yeah. But also, like, there's this villainization of, like, pagan spirituality and that sort of a thing that, like, complicates it. So it is solidly middle of the road. Interesting. Interesting. Okay. Uh, I like Wickerman. It's a classic. Uh, it's fun. It drags a little. Like, the pacing, as many 70s, slash, uh, 70s films in general do, uh, horror films. Uh, like, we can talk about Daughters of Darkness we watched last season. <laughs> and how that one kind of drug a little bit. But, I don't know. It's just fun. It's campy. It's weird. And I love Christopher Lee's performance as Dr. Sum- or as the um, mayor of Somerville in there. Mm, yeah, so, he's good. Yeah, that's where I'd put it. Um, and then we get to my number seven choice, which is saved. One of these things is not like the other because it's not a horror film, but we covered it anyway. <laughs> and it's also on the Patreon. Patreon. Yep. Yep. But I have not ranked it yet, so we're not talking about it yet. <laughs> yep. Yep. So then I guess this would be your sixth closest to best. <laughs> yeah. Or the eighth closest to worst. Yeah. And that is for me, Krampus. And for me, Krampus. We can talk about it now. Yay. (laughs) I really like this movie. Um, I you gave it eight point five, I gave it a nine. I Mm. I just love this movie. It's so funny, so weird. Wait, what did we rank Wicker Man? I don't have the two I don't have Hocus Pocus 2's rankings and I don't have Wicker Man's rankings, but I have the rest. Yeah, I try to write them in, but I don't Okay, so I eight point five for me and nine for you. Yep. Yep. I the part that gets me is like, ugh, the like toxic masculinity space of the uncle or whatever, and that like mm-hmm. dad has to like fall into that to get anything done, and I'm just like, ugh, that yeah, sucks and is awful. Um, but then I but I also really love Christmas, and I love that like the thing for the kid is like everybody has lost christmas spirit and like what mm-hmm. christmas is and all of that and feels just like so disconnected from his own naivete which i think is actually a gift in a lot of senses i i think people don't appreciate naivete enough mm-hmm. um and so i love that there's like his disconnect from it is really important and then also like just the the wisdom of grandma that she she knows and she trusts and she is taking she every step of the way is like trying to print from yeah yeah and i just think it's fun but also (laughs) i'm one of the reasons you like it is because of all the snow you can't deny it obviously oh obviously we still have not had snow for more than Mm -hmm. like a minute literally like we there have been a couple sightings of flakes for like five minutes um and none of them have been by me so Still waiting for snow. Fair, fair. So now to what, four? Five? Five. Five, five. 
I can count. I can do math. Um, I picked Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Which we can talk about now, because I ranked it very low. Why did you rank it very high? I guess we'll start with that. Um, I really love Multiverse. Of, I, I, love, I love Multiverse 3 stuff. So anytime we get to talk Multiverse, I'm here for it. Um, I really like America Chavez. I um, first encountered her... I got into the new Ms. Marvel comics um, a couple years ago, and I and um, and then saw that there were some like Marvel Rising episodes on Disney Plus that had the new Ms. Marvel um, Kamala Khan, and so I was like, oh, I'll check them out, and that's where I encountered America Chavez, and so I encountered her in the context of a predominantly BIPOC cast of superheroes and I was like Mm -hmm. yeah and so like I'm always here for that because the MCU is so pale and male and straight (laughs) um and so I was just like here for it anyway and then also I just really like multiverse stuff um I'm I have not seen WandaVision so like the whole thing with Wanda, I was like, uh, <laughs> um, which is like you know the main plot, uh, yeah. but but I loved I loved how they did the multiverses. I loved the like paint splatter verse, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. all of that stuff. So oh, so here we go, Evil Dead connection because we were just talking about how you don't know anything about the Evil Dead franchise. Is Bruce Campbell was in that and Evil Dead, uh, and he was in. Doctor Strange and also Evil Dead was directed was by Sam he? Raimi, who directed Multiverse of Madness. Oh, who was he in? He was the he was the street vendor who. Oh yeah. And he's like also the guy who well. plays Ash, the main protagonist oh, of Evil Dead. So okay. That so um yeah, I rated this low. You gave it six point five, and I gave it a seven. I want to say um, but I rated it low in my own rating just because. I feel like there was a time when I was really into the superhero building world building movies and stuff like mm-hmm. that. Um, that time has passed mm-hmm. a long time ago, actually. I, I don't re- think I've really been into the MCU or anything since like the 2015s, 2016s. I think the last mm-hmm. one that I s- went to the theaters to see with like joy at seeing and excitement was Black Panther. And mm-hmm. since then, like all the rest of them, I would go to the theater to see out of application, which isn't a great reason to see a movie. So yeah. like, that's kind of where I feel on just the Marvel Cinematic Universe It's so cheesy. Yeah. It also tries to take itself so seriously. And it's just mm-hmm. like, and Dr. Strange is just one of those characters that is just, I don't know. He's like a stuck up self-privileged cis white guy, like just. Uh, I like America Chavez and stuff. I don't like what they do with Scarlet Witch. Um, So yeah, just a lot of love hate there with MCU in general, and then this movie in particular. So yeah, I think I have reached the point where I am not interested in intentionally following the continuity of the universe. And that's like I I didn't go to theaters, but I did watch some of the movies out of obligation to try to be able to trace it and like there was one time where I like went back to the beginning and watched like Agent Carter and and did the whole like chronological watching um and it was fun at the time and I will not do it again 
the way that I <laughs> will do it with like Star Wars or Lord like where I rewatch some stuff a lot. Um, but there are partic and and we just watched Black Adam a couple weeks ago, and oh. that's a DC comic, and it's there's just this space that like they're now trying to make movies where like they don't have to explain who characters are because their assumption is that you are only watching the movie if you know who the characters are so like the justice society slash justice league or whatever were in black adam and i was like who are they like i don't understand what all i haven't seen shazam i don't know those parts it was a good (laughs) movie for the most part it was a good movie on its own Oh, I disagree 100%. I thought that was an awful, awful movie. But Uh, I'm also a DC fan, so I have a more of a stake in DC. And I'm just, like, there for the actual, like, what is is happening and the, like, anti-colonization and the, like, critique of colonialism. That, like, you don't care what's happening until somebody threatens your power. Okay. Um, But so that, for me, in Marvel Cinematic Universe comes to play in I Will Watch Black Panther. Um, and I will watch like the shows with the with the superheroes that I like, like Spider-Man, maybe mm-hmm. um, particularly I like the Miles Morales Spider-Man. But um, like those sorts of things where like there are certain ones that I might watch, but I'm done watching just like the blanket Ad- Avengers movies sure. with sure. lots of people that I'm not going to follow all of the things and they're not going to introduce them or remind so... me what happened before. What you're hearing, listeners, is we probably won't do a season on the Marvel Cinematic Universe <laughs> down the road. Uh, I think, we never say I never. Think I, could, I could be convinced to do it for a podcast, but I will not on my own. Right, right. Well, one. so this is number five for me, I guess, would be Adam's Family. Mm-hmm. So then the fourth, counting down to the best, is for me. Adam's family. So now we can talk about it. There are Which is a couple so weird because the way you rated this, you rated this a six and I rated it a seven. So it's like significantly lower. This is one of the <laughs> lowest ones you rated, and yet it's one of the highest ones on the it's, I mean I think whenever I'm doing the like ordering of things, the ones that are not like as trippy, inconsistent horror films are always gonna be a little bit higher. Um but also but also, um, it's just a, like, I love talking to Elle, and she's great. <laughs> it was so, a really good conversation. Um, yeah, they are always a fun guest, and so I just, like, it's always going to kind of mess with how I remember things, especially. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I just love the querying of conventional cishet normativity family, mm-hmm. what that's supposed to look like when we have the Adams family. Yeah. So, um it's always a perennial favorite of mine and it's a nice gateway film for young horror kids to get started mm-hmm. on and fall in love with horror kind of like Vampirina was for a, a gateway yes. tv show for um a certain was their age now what is her age um almost five five at the an end almost five year old of emily's life so <laughs> yeah yeah and i think uh, like there's there's also just like the cultural aspect of the Adams family because I hadn't ever actually seen the Adams family. So I watched the Adams family family values one before watching the original. 
um, but because I hadn't seen it, like, but I knew some of the cultural stuff with it. And so that, um, that helps, I think, me in my own, like, affinity for it. And like, okay, I get what we're talking about. And I'm really excited to watch Wednesday. I have not yet watched it, but I think we'll probably. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's a little complicated because of Tim Burton's involvement, but. Oh, we'll I didn't there. realize he. Ugh, yeah. Tim Burton, do better. Need everybody. <laughs> it's right. not that hard. I mean, it kind of is hard, but we're all trying. I mean, it it's not hard to like do better about racism and pretending like people of color can't be in. Yes, that that's true. That, that much is true. A lot of things. Yes, it's hard to do better on that. It's like Bette Midler and Turfdom. Do better. You can. It's mm-hmm, easy. Mm-hmm. It's really not hard. And that, I guess, will transition us to number four for me, (laughs) which is Suspiria. So we can finally talk about this movie, which I rated a nine and you rated a seven. So you rated it higher than Adam's family. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Yeah, you can tell, like, this is, like, sharing the ratings just makes it so much more obvious. (laughs) <laughs> how the ratings are so specific to that particular place and time for me right at that moment in conversation yeah 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 i love suspiria it's always going to be one of my favorites i mean it's a fever dream of a film intentionally and that's one of the things yeah. i love about it but i get that's why a that's five might not like it <laughs> i'm like no it does not i can't compare. there's a random room of our wire in a ballet studio why right <laughs> like why are you and then you get caught in it and just like cannot get out like why right? unnecessary unnecessary although as i've as I said before, when we do our witch season, we will have to watch the new Suspiria. I think you will really like that one. Okay. So That's fine. We'll get there. We can do that. Uh, and then uh, I guess we're to our top three. Holy shit. Ooh. What's your number three choice? Saved. <laughs> I Saved for me is just like a fun show. It is such a great like satire like tear apart the harmful aspects of christianity in particular that i'm like yes i like we just recorded our ash wednesday episode for nerds at church so spoilers um for those of you who are fans of both of of both of the two so far um nerds at church empire franchise podcast franchise (laughs) maybe we should call them a franchise will be a better franchise than the marvel cinematic universe franchise yep yep um but the i actually used hillary fay for one of the examples (laughs) for our ash wednesday um stuff so it's just like a fun it's just a fun it's a fun show it makes fun of something that takes itself too seriously and that i am connected enough to that i like get every single mm-hmm. one it's like lamb the gospel according to biff christ child yeah. bell it's just fun yep i love it i love it similar reasons i've put it more in the middle um just because mm-hmm. the ones that come after it for me personally like i just really dig and love in ways um but saved is one of those classics that i can watch I pretty much only watch it when I'm showing it to people who haven't seen it or like I'm showing it to like a youth group or something, but it always brings about good conversation when I do. And that's a, that's a reason enough for me for it to be where it is. I think I 
first watched it either in youth group or our queer group at Luther College watched it. <laughs> Very nice. Uh, I guess my number three, though. Sunshine. Sunshine. <laughs> I love Remember the Titans. I have it on VHS. That's how much oh, I gosh. Um, Yeah. Oh. So, but I have not ranked it, so we can't talk about it. So let's continue on to our second favorite. And, yep. Oh, look, it's Sunshine. Yay. Which... You rate it 8.5 and I rated a 9. I also don't have the ratings for save, which is why I don't say them. But um, for Sunshine, we both rate it really high. Mm-hmm. So I guess it's no surprise that it's top three for both of us. Top two yeah. for you. Yeah. I love space movies. I just love them. Um, so it was like the easiest rating ever. Um, so that's <laughs> – that's we have discovered – oh, some of the things we've discovered um, – body horror is not my favorite thing uh space horror is my favorite thing Hmm. that's those are two of the takeaways from this season um but yeah i loved sunshine and i really liked our conversation that we had with brendan about it um but yeah space horror i'm here for it yeah sunshine is like crack for my nerd brain which i say all the time um space of course is a big thing in my life as well i love it uh pace yes the pace um and i love the soundtrack is gorgeous the imagery of the sun even for like 2007 graphics like they did a really good job of just Mm -hmm. the cgi effects of the sun and stuff like that i love like a theological interest of mine is um divinization or divination divinization theosis where it's union with the divine and that's Mm -hmm. kind of a theme of this movie so i just love it for all those reasons yeah and it has a fantastic cast right right which i like didn't know until we were watching it and maybe also partly until we were talking about it in the (laughs) background I love it. Yeah, it's just so good. I just love space, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and I love space. Yay! I feel loved. <laughs> um, my number two is The Shining, which we can talk about. And so, for all of you listeners who are joining us after listening to our Shining episode with horror queers, this comes apart where you get to finally hear Emily's opinion <laughs> on The Shining, and maybe you'll walk away from this podcast and never return because <laughs> of how low they rated it. <laughs> I mean, I, okay, full disclosure, I changed the order while we were recording. Originally, The Shining was last. And then it's like, <laughs> well, and I might reorder it if I were to go back and reorder now that we've like talked about the movies a bit more. And I'm like, okay, this is right. This is what I was feeling and thinking about them. But um, I just like the Jack is just such a harmful character and so frustrating and um and then totally agree with what you all were talking about with Danny's like finger shining character psychological whoever it is mm. like that voice I'm just like I know so grating yeah so it's just like a lot of that sort of thing or like w- I mean, the story is basically the story of watching a woman stuck physically and emotionally in an abusive relationship. Mm -hmm. And 
it's just like that's that that is horror but like the perspective that was given for it didn't feel like it didn't feel like the kind of horror that like get out is right where get out is like the horror of racism shown in a very clear way versus the horror of racism just like playing itself out naturally like i think it would have i think it would have been different if a woman or a domestic violence survivor had made the movie oh, sure as opposed to someone who is the perpetrator of violence who made the movie yeah um yeah i i, I agree with all that ex, um except the I don't think the interesting thing is the book is so markedly different that I don't know. I wonder what would happen if someone took the script Kubrick had and who's was a survivor of violence and edited it and created something as opposed to like taking the source material. Cause I can't, it, the source material is so different. Um, mm. But for me, I rank shining high because it, I, I think we said this in the episode, like it is a cinematic masterpiece in how it is shot. It is so mm, beautiful to watch from beginning to end. The steady cam, like the heavy use of that, just following Danny around. Like yeah, it's one of those Danny films that is like one of the best. Right. But like it's one of those films that truly, truly gets the setting as a character itself and using that mm -hmm. to like create atmosphere and heighten the suspense and mm -hmm. dread in a way that it's very hard to do just visually, but like mm -hmm. Kubrick is one of those directors that just visually is very much is able to get it. And that's why he's able to put that on screen now. And also I still find Shelley Duvall's performance, just one of the most yeah. iconic performances of horror ever. And I yeah, just love it she, still to this day. So yeah, and that's I think, why I rate it for me. I think the other the other piece is, I do think I think there's there are ways that it could have been even more the setting as horror as like part of the horror, um, as I said, by making it clearer that the hotel yeah was well like a character. Um, what's interesting though? Oh, I was just gonna quick say though is what's interesting is that the setting as horror is only told visually aside from that very little bit of expositional dialogue that um dick halloran's character uh, that dick halloran says in the beginning aside from that like it's only visual which i feel like is such an interesting way to tell a story as opposed mm -hmm. to connecting the dots and like having to verbally say this is why the hotel does this or that yeah. kind of thing so yeah I think I think there are like a couple places where they could have hinted at it a little bit more um, in sure, the dialogue, sure. but the the thing that like was the most annoying to me that I commented on I think a couple times in the movie commentary was the music. Like, a you're not supposed to actually really notice the music in like the soundtrack. It's supposed to support the emotional stuff that's happening but that you don't is one theory yes but that is not the only theory <laughs> okay in this i noticed it multiple times because it gave a false sense of suspense like it built the suspense and then nothing happened and i was just like i'm here for you build the suspense and then something suspenseful happens um but if you're just going to continuously like build the suspense and nothing happens and then every once in a while build the suspense and something does happen it distracts 
from the horror elements for me and it's it mm. makes it harder for me to be present in the film itself. Sure, sure. That's fair. That's fair. For me, I feel like it is a disorienting quality of the mm. soundtrack, which adds to its suspense for me because I feel further disoriented as the hotel is a very disorienting place. And we have established that kind I'm of like not... Suspiria. <laughs> I was going to say, we have established that I'm not a disorient me as horror kind yeah, of yeah. fan. Fair. Yeah. Yep. Yep. But I guess this brings us to our number one, which we both can agree on. And I love this. So we can say at the same time, even everything, everything everywhere, everywhere, all at, all at once. once. Yes. Uh, I, love this. I rated this an 11. You rated this a 7.5 that you thought could maybe be moved to a nine if you watched it again. Yeah. Yeah. And I have not watched it again, unfortunately. Um, but I definitely am feeling the nine vibes i just like the beginning i didn't know what we were watching like i didn't know the premise of it or anything Mm -hmm. and so i didn't realize it was i think i forgot that it was like gonna be multiverse theory stuff and so i just like wasn't (laughs) was not properly prepared for it um the more i like think about it and like keep going back to it and all of that stuff i just yeah it's just it's fantastic acting like Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it it is probably top five movies of all time for me like mm. e- easily and like i like i rated it 11 out of 10 i rated yeah. an impossible rating because it's just that good for me um and all the reasons back in the episode i'm not gonna repeat them here but just i love it everything about this movie i love it mm-hmm. i love the googly-eyed so. rocks right they're some of my favorites so uh there you have it that's our ranking of our um non-franchise films so two quick games the first game is which movie does emily think that they got the highest jump scare ranking for Uh, yeah um i (laughs) think i know it was unexpected like part of me thinks it was freddy versus jason but part of me thinks it was also like I don't know, saved or some like ridiculous, like the Adams family. <laughs> saved, yeah. you did get one. Um, so saved did not go zero, but you did get a jump in there. But the highest jump with two full jumps and three half jumps was the Nightmare on Elm Street remake. Oh, yeah. Because it was just like the iconic scenes from the first one and jump scares. That was like what the movie was right yep yep and then i'm not quite sure how to count half jumps so somewhere between children of the corn and nightmare on elm street 3 is your second most jumpiest because children of the corn got one to two jumps and nightmare on elm street 3 got one jump and three half jumps oh so nightmare on elm street would be more half jump is like if i had is usually if I had been paying a little bit more attention or been a little bit more like <laughs> caught up in it, it would have been a full jump, but I wasn't. So it was a half jump is usually what the half jumps are. There we go. So, yeah. um, and I got a jump for one film. Yes. I don't remember what movie it was at this point. Shoot. Uh, I remember. But I, uh, I got a jump for one. I think it was Krampus. It was Krampus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I got a jump for Krampus. So. I loved that because you like never get jump scares. 
So, but also as we determined, Nightmare on Elm Street is not much of a jump scare franchise. So, mm-hmm. it, so most of the films you got either no jumps or a half jump. A few you got one jump, and just only like three you got over one jump. So, yep, very impressive. Yeah, so. you're learning well, my horror Padawan. <laughs> well, and we'll see how it comes in our next season. Right, right. A little bit, I think, a little bit more variety in. So that brings us on to our second game, which is I'm also good. You can also play at home listeners. So I will say the one sentence summary that either Emily or I wrote. And some of these I had to write just in while preparing for this episode because we didn't consistently do one sentence summaries until like halfway through the season. But um, okay, so I'll just say the one odd. sentence summary and then Emily will have to guess. <laughs> Perfect. What are we is... are the one sentence summaries just for the Nightmare on Elm Street ones or for Therefore, you started them on the non Elm Street ones. So I had okay. to write so most of the ones I had to write them for was for non Elm Street ones. Okay. I it was for the Elm Street ones, I mean. Oh, interesting. But all of them pretty much all the movies we covered are game. I will not do Halloween ends for you because you did not because see that one. Sometimes happy endings are happy. Yeah, or happy something. endings can happen. Yep. Yeah, that's it. Okay, so here we go. Okay, um, so I'm ready. Number one, grittier remakes are not always better. <laughs> I feel like this has to be the Nightmare on Elm Street 2010. Ding, ding, ding. You got that correct. Yay. Um, I mean, there's only so many remakes that we Right. Uh, this one is New Kristen and Trans Awakening. Hmm. New Christian Awakening. Okay. It is Nightmare on Elm Street. Dream Master? Fourth one? Mm, very good. Yes! I'm impressed. So far, two, two for two. Pressure's on. Okay. If this were Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, I would have won the person the prize. <laughs> I, um, I randomize these, like, randomly. But it's interesting um, the order that they are coming up in. Anyway, not the next one. Freddy goes anti-choice. Oh, dream child. Easy peasy. Yes. Fifth one. That one I figured was easy yeah. for you. Um, how about this one? This one I think will also be easy for you. Creepy kids kill adults and worship corn. <laughs> <laughs> Children of the corn. Very good. Very good. Four for four. Very good. Um. We're doing so much better than I thought I would. Twinkie Power Bottom versus Muscle Bear Top, the movie. (laughs) Freddy versus Jason. Yep, yep. I love our one-sentence summaries. Me too. I think we have to keep those forever. For real. Uh, Next one. A cis-het white guy with special powers to bend time explodes into the multiverse thanks to Redacted. Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness. Yes. And America I, Chavez was redacted. Yeah. I thought I I thought I did a one sentence summary for that one that was like You did. That's that was it. That. Okay. Nope. <laughs> Your one sentence summaries. Uh, like spoilers for those at home. Sentences. Some of them are the some of them are quite long and those tend to be the ones that Emily gave. Some of them every once in a while I yeah. Every once in a while I get a short one, but <laughs> yeah, it's true. I'm good at run-on sentences. Yep, yep. 
It's a very five thing. Uh, this next one, group hypnosis and dream powers. Dream warriors. Very good. That was the um, street three. Here is another run on sentence one from Emily. A solid and loving family is nearly swindled out of their health and wealth by evil loan sharks until lightning strikes and brings all the memories flooding back. The Adams family. Without Very a lightning good. strike, I don't know if I would have gotten it. <laughs> I was like, what is that one? It's not Nightmare on Elm Street. The Adams family. Very good. Silvery got all of them right. I'm very impressed. Me too. Um this one I like. Another Emily sentence. Assholes, asshole, and then pay the consequences three years later on a train with magic. <laughs> the terror train. <laughs> yep, yep. Um Freddy, redacted and redacted, fight for the heart of redacted in this weird rom-com where polyamory would solve everything except the murders i will say the names because that will help freddie grady and lisa fight for the heart of jesse in this weird rom-com where polyamory would solve everything except the murders that one is a nightmare on elm street Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. i feel like it has to be i think it's freddie's revenge very good yeah i almost got that one wrong because Lisa and Grady are like the dude and the woman that Jesse isn't sure what she's going to end up with. And then Freddie's in there too. It's yep. a weird yep. mess. <laughs> uh, this one. Freddie goes self-referential camp as he tries to find his child. Also, everything is more real in 3D. Mm. This has to be the final nightmare, right? Yes. Freddie's dead. The final nightmare. Very good. Um... This one, someone dreams of attending ballet school in Germany and then dreams become a bewitching nightmare. Suspiria. Very good. Uh, another one that goes on forever. After an initial fail, Earth tries again to jumpstart the sun by sending a giant bomb with some humans who inevitably either sacrifice themselves for humanity or others for their self-preservation until a mystery being appears. That's like a paragraph. It's true. One sentence paragraph. Sunshine. I might have to like, well, because I wanted it to actually like, I think when I was doing the one sentence summaries, I wanted them to actually be like a summary. But yeah, sunshine is obviously the answer for that. There you go. Uh, Nostalgia for what probably never actually was leads to death, destruction, and life in a snow globe. Krampus. Very good. Dude installs high femme nails. <laughs> oh my gosh. Um, it's definitely a Nightmare on Elm Street one. I don't know all of the, I feel like we just have Wes Craven's new Nightmare and the original Freddy. Correct. So the original Freddy? Yep, because it has that opening montage of him making his glove, yeah. Oh, yeah. Speaking of what's left, this one, by process of an elimination, Freddy goes meta. Wes Craven's new nightmare. Yep. Two more. Um, existential optimism versus existential pessimism with hot dog fingers. <laughs> Everything, everywhere, all at once. It's the hot dog fingers. Yep, yep. And then the last one. Um, and... 
the last one is Christian colonization crashes into paganism and penis worship, and the cops not happy with the results. Wicker man. Very good. Very good. You got all of them. Nice. What was the first one that we did the one sentence summary on? Doctor Strange. Okay. The very first one you started with the um, <laughs> cis white guy. Because I just cis white. And you, we didn't really start them consistently to like a third of the way into the season. Then you did it for everyone you were responsible for writing summaries for. Mm-hmm. But since I was responsible for the Nightmare on Elm Street, I didn't pick up on the trend until like towards the end. Yeah, maybe next time That's it'll be a little bit less run on. We'll see. <laughs> We'll see. No promises. Stay tuned I know for five. next season to find out. Right, right. Now comes the moment everyone's been waiting for, I guess. Are we <laughs> going to rank the Freddy films? Mm-hmm. There are nine, so we'll start with our ninth least favorite. Do you want to go first this time? Sure, I can. That's a good idea. So, my least favorite, A Nightmare on Elm Street, the remake. Mm, my least favorite... Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. (laughs) My next least favorite would be A Nightmare on Elm Street 5, The Dream Child. Well then, let's just talk talk about about this one now. Yeah. Um, It's anti-choice propaganda is number one reason for me. It's a lot of that. And it's just, I, I feel like it's not great. It's. There are things I like about it. I will mm-hmm. give it that. Like the um, dreamscape with the like comic book dreamscape and stuff mm-hmm. like that. So yeah. there's a few things that really redeem it for me in yeah. some ways. Yeah. And then there's the, f- but then you just can't quite get past that gross anti-choice <laughs> propaganda. Yeah. I like some of the like cinematography, like you're saying, of mm-hmm. like the dreamscape being comic style. Um, but the, it is just so anti-choice and so that is just so problematic especially where we are at currently in the world that i i just can't and for me personally like the worst part i think is like unlike breaking down part one where like it is deliberately Mm anti-choice and stephanie myers is like putting on full display what's going on there uh this one i i don't think they knew it was i just feel like they accidentally did it because they 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 didn't even it's just like so much in culture the ways we talk about pregnancy and womanhood Mm -hmm. and motherhood and all this stuff and it just it's gross so yeah yeah, and I'm I'm really glad that we had Susanna on for both mm-hmm. Breaking Dawn Part 1 and for The Dream Child because her yep. wisdom and expertise is so helpful at unpacking that. Um, and I've gotten better at like noticing that, but it is, it's so ingrained in our culture that if you're not paying attention, it just gets under, like gets subliminally messaged over and over again and starts to mm-hmm. work its way mm-hmm. into your own vocabulary and your own mind. And so, yeah, I'm glad we covered it and like Same. could point Same. that out, but probably not my favorite. Um, and then my second least favorite. least favorite, eighth yeah. least favorite, my next one <laughs> is the Nightmare on Elm Street. So <laughs> this one just, it, I mean, Matthew's my fourth favorite gospel this one just felt like it took all of the iconic scenes from the original added in a bunch of jump scares 
and that was like the movie and i was like that's that's not like if you're gonna remake something make it good like Mm -hmm. either Mm -hmm. do it the same but better or take what is at the heart of it and give it new life but they they did neither they did neither (laughs) yeah this one every i think i said in the episode every time i watch it i like it less so this one is the other one of the two movies i said that I just don't, don't really like. care for the season. So the other one being Hocus Pocus too. So, I mean, there are things that I really like about it. Some of the dreamscapes are really cool, like the micro nap stuff, but overall, and then also just the way they like bring in this sexual assault, childhood sexual assault subplot. And then they oh, yeah. do such a shitty job with it. That awful. it just, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, that, I forgot about that part. <laughs> I repressed that memory. <laughs> there you go. JK. Um. um so I guess does that yeah, I guess my turn. So next one for me, Freddy versus Jason. Mm. The next one for me is Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master. And this is going to be a theme here because for oh my me gosh, we next did it for like all of them. Right. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street 4, The Dream Master for me. <laughs> So I, so to be clear, I love all the Nightmare on Elm Streets except for the dream. Uh, the remake is like the one that I is kind of a chore for me to watch, but the rest I'll watch anytime if it's on. So I like all of them. Mm-hmm. This one's middle of the road for me. I but one of the things I really like this time is Kay Lynch gave a trans reading of the film on Twitter. We tried to get mm-hmm. her on, but scheduling. Um, difficulties we're able to get her on but we'll have her on in a future season but anyway i love her trans reading of alice's character here and so that one even bumped it up higher for me for dream master Mm. i just like it yeah i forgot about that part because it had been such a long time since i I watched it but yeah we started recording the season uh almost six months ago at this point (laughs) right and and anything that like takes a time period like christmas in the middle as a pastor, I'm just like lost. So, um, yeah, I I liked Dream Master in. I remember when we were talking about the like trans reading of it. I really liked it. Um, now that I'm remembering it, um, I kind of liked the like how are we fighting back and like being a master of dreams. But then it like wasn't done as well as I thought it could have been done. I think. Yeah. Um. And so it's just, how did we rank it? Um, or read it? You rated it a 6.75 and I rated it a 5. That tracks. Whereas Dream Child, you rated a 3 and I rated a 5. <laughs> also tracks. <laughs> the yep. remake, though, you weirdly rated a 6 and I rated a 3. So I don't know what's I going on there. In general, like to get less than a 5 from me for a rating, it has to be bad. Mm. which is fair, like maybe fair. not the most helpful way of rating but i'm just so used to all of those surveys that they that's fair that we rate it our own ways so that's part of the magic of our podcast mm-hmm. we rate it however we interpret it, especially when we're rating it nightmares as opposed to anything else yeah for real so um, uh what's so next then, for you then mine was freddy versus jason wow <laughs> um what did you rate this one? Let me quick find it. 6.5. We both rated it 6.5. Okay. Yeah. For me, it was 
like there there's a lot of potential in a Freddy versus Jason type of movie and I think it it just felt weird to be simultaneously like teaming up and against each other and and I think they could have probably done it a little bit better I think it yeah. probably would have I'm guessing it would have helped to do one or the other and not trying to do both teaming up and against each other. But I also think like you could do both. They just didn't do it as well as they could have. Yeah, It took over 10 years. I think this is something I said in the episode too. It took yeah. over 10 years for him to come up with this script because it was in development hell for 10 years. And this is the best they got. So yeah. it's a little scary, but um, yeah, it's, it's okay. I, I like it more each time I watch it, but mm. it's still it's middle of the road for me and as far as the franchise goes. So now I to five, now we're in our top five counting down. So for me, that would be Final Nightmare. Freddy's Dead, the Final Nightmare. Mm. And for me it is number Nightmare two. Nightmare on Elm Street Two. Yeah. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street Two. Freddy's Revenge. Very nice. And Again, weirdly enough, for me, my number four choice, Nightmare on Elm Street 2, Freddy's Revenge. So you could talk about it. So why did you pick that? Let's find... Okay, so for this one, you rated it 8, and I rated it 8.5. So from here on out, I really like all of these. uh, Like, these are some of my favorite horror movies. So Mm. I like it's the gay one. Uh, there's a lot of problematic stuff we talked about in the episode, but overall, it's pretty queer in a fun and reclaimed way, especially given the backstory of it and how awful it was. Um, and it's also, for me, the scariest Freddy. Like, the makeup effects they did on him was mm. absolutely terrifying. The body horror is something that I just love, as we've talked about, which I know you aren't a huge fan of, but I love body horror, and that was part of this. So overall, just one of my favorites. Yeah, I really liked um, a particular, I think it helps me when I have like a good background stuff, right? So so watching Scream Queen um, helped me get a fuller appreciation of it. Um, mm. But yeah, I'm not super into body horror, but I did, I love when stuff is queer. Um, I'd love for queer coding to just be queer and not always coded um, mm-hmm, because mm-hmm. there's a like, a bait and switch kind of thing that happens that doesn't feel great not great bob yeah um but i also appreciate when there is queer coding and when we get to as queer people like see ourselves in some capacity in a movie and not just as the villain right because there's a lot of like weird stuff with freddie and sexuality but like to have it be like not the villain it's queer coded Mm -hmm. is refreshing Agreed. Agreed. I mean, although Freddy was kind of queer code in that film too, but well, yeah, we get the protagonist. Uh, we get yeah. Scream Queen, who's the dude for once. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and then my fourth favorite was Freddy's Dead. <laughs> so we can talk about that. I like oh, how, really? like, literally all these are switched, basically. Yeah. But I might, I might have 
I was going to go back and revisit these and I probably would have switched Freddy's. Uh, I like Final Nightmare because it's just funny and campy and queer in a more intentional way uh, because uh, and it's the only one directed by a woman in the entire Nightmare on Elm Street franchise. Uh, So it's just really fun. I love his self-referential pop culture kind of campy humor. A lot of people don't like it because they think it's not scary and spoilers. It's not scary. (laughs) Agreed. But like, that's okay. The plot makes no sense. But, like, it's fun, and I like a movie that can be fun and make fun of itself. Yeah. I also like that. I like that it it brought a new aspect to the franchise for me um, for, like, the, the, like, pulling Freddy into the real world and killing him and, like, the Freddy's kid that, like, gets hinted at. And then, um, it yeah, it just feels like there's – more possibilities to appreciate it very nice very nice so now top three for us um my choice is nightmare on elm street 3 the dream warrior and mine is wes craven's new nightmare interesting which i might have switched with the dream warriors but cool cool well my number two wes craven's new nightmare (laughs) let's talk about this one um i you rated a nine i rated it 9.5 uh i love it (laughs) yep yeah i love this i love the meta nature of it Mm -hmm. that is always like there's like a a a very fine line between something being meta and something being completely confusing and like untraceable right like suspiria versus west craven's new nightmare or like those those sorts of dynamics are like Mm -hmm. there's a fine line but this one is decidedly like meta and like covers all this stuff and i like that it has like robert england playing robert england and Mm -hmm. um nancy's the actor for nancy playing herself heather langenkamp yeah langenkamp playing herself and um all of those dynamics It, it just was and and she gets to be the protagonist and the one who fights back again and i love mm-hmm. that i love the return yep. to like what was so important in the first one yeah it's one of the first horror films i mean there's been meta qualities to horror films on and off but it's like one of the first ones that does it in this way mm-hmm. um and now like in a post scream world which was also directed by uh, Wes craven uh meta is like a completely different thing now um and more happens more frequently but like mm-hmm. this was really the first film to do it and it was one of the first films that i ever saw doing it like and mm-hmm. i saw it at a young age mm-hmm. it's very impressionable for me and then also uh i love that the meta nature of it allows wes craven to comment on the state of horror to comment on mm-hmm. the way the franchise went uh and all this stuff in a really profound way so yeah that's yeah. it for me and then my second slash third is Dream Warriors. Yay. Like, yeah. Um, I like that there's like a teaming up and a mm-hmm. like valuing and an intentional like you cannot do this by yourself. You have to team yeah. up and use each other's strengths to fight back. Um, so Agreed. that just like Agreed. is always a plus. I prefer cooperative games to competitive <laughs> We rated the, we both rated this a seven out of ten nightmares, and I, for a long time, I did not like this one, mm-hmm. um, because the line for me there's like 
uh, are you familiar with like jump the shark what that means yes so like there's this i used to watch happy days <laughs> of course so there's this jump the shark moment in this movie for me mm-hmm. when freddie goes from being scary to being campy to being like the mtv freddy we talked about mm, yeah. and it's with the one death where he takes the um young woman and like shoves her head through the tv and says welcome to prime time bitch it's that oh. line that just it's like a light switch suddenly he jumped the shark he's no longer scary it's like this mtv mm. witty catchphrases character so mm. for a long time i didn't like this movie because of that but um I just but still I love the community aspects of it, like you said, and I love the kind of dream world building that happens. And I think Patricia Arquette is a great actress, so it's cool mm-hmm. seeing her in this role. So that's why I rate it pretty high this time for me. And, and finally, no surprise. Our favorite. <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street. The original. The original. <laughs> it's really hard to beat the original in most franchises, so yeah. Well, and it, I, I've mentioned this multiple times now, right? The original was also intentionally different from other horror franchises yeah. of the time where they actually, like, the final girl is the one who fights back and she is the one who beats Freddy. It's not just mm-hmm. that, like, somebody else, like, saves her from Freddy and she's a damsel in distress. It's that she fights back and she wins. Mm-hmm. And I love yep. that. Yep. And it's not – and it kind of moves away from that. Like, a lot of final girls will fight back, like, if you think – I mean, you haven't seen a lot of the slashes. But, like, if you think of, like – um in Halloween, Jamie Lee Curtis playing Laurie and stuff, fighting back and stuff. But there's a level of – awareness that Wes Craven brings to it where it's not just fighting back but like um pre like going on the offense not just like mm. running away and fighting back out of necessity but she like booby traps her house you know, yeah. right. <laughs> as part of it on, like, she like alone strategizes and stuff yeah. like this and um so there's all these aspects of it and also gets away from the virginal trope of final girl where the final Mm -hmm. girl has to be like a virgin and can't smoke pot or anything like it doesn't necessarily say anything about that either way about nancy's character but Mm -hmm. um the fact that it doesn't comment on it is kind of novel like we don't know she's a virgin or not there's that one scene when glenn tries to sleep with her and she's like eh, not in the mood but like does that mean she's a virgin who knows so it just i like the I, i like all those aspects of it so agreed agreed Indeed, and indeed. it's still genuinely scary. Yeah, even for me, not just not just a horror newbie here, but even for me, I still genuinely find this movie scary, and I love it. Thanks. Uh, so we are getting close to wrapping up our over two hour long retrospective, as many of them are. Um, but uh, do you have any favorite kills or moments or anything you just want to shout out from the season as a whole? I. I don't know. We had just such, we had so many great guests and those were just such fun episodes. Like Nightmare on Fear Street was so fun to like kick off. I think that's also part of why I love the first movie, right? Like the association with them and having them on um, and having like, yeah, I, I, this is my first horror franchise that I've ever all of period if we don't count twilight which that's horrific in a different sense um 
so it was just like a it it was a really great introduction to horror franchise for me um and i really appreciated that i yeah and and i mean each of the ones like the favorite kill was always like (laughs) the the asshole like kill the asshole okay now we're good um but yeah i think i do think I mean, I know I said that Wes Craven's New Nightmare was my third favorite, but it, I do really love that. I love the the different take on it mm. that it provided, and I love the yeah. space that we found in the whole season to like to have different takes and to like experience stuff differently and to like have space to go meta and and to figure out that like oh, if it's set in space, I'm golden. I will like be there for it, period. Um, or it. if Freddy is sticking out his tongue, I'm just gonna like it's gonna be hard for me no matter what. Um, so yeah. it was just yeah. like the whole thing was just like this great new experience for me. Yeah, I, for me, I will just say I don't. I think some of my favorite kills were in everything, everywhere, all at once. I know yeah. it's kind of controversial because of the dog aspect, but just like the dog being used as a weapon was so fun and funny in that movement movie. Uh so I, I like that. Mm-hmm. Um just a lot of fun stuff this season. It's a really fun season overall. Um I just want to quick shout out all of our guests because you brought a good point up of just how awesome a lot of this was because of the guests we've had. Mm-hmm. So we had um nightmare on fear street sheree and trent joined us they were both awesome mm-hmm. uh ben monroe uh nerds at church with k roloff <laughs> for our crossover episode uh Susanna porter mm-hmm. uh brandon brandon grafius jr lux l dowd river cook needham howard david ingham uh trace and joe from horror queers and then Paige stauffer being a guest co-host for one of our boot tubes so it was a really cool season a lot of cool people yeah and shout out to the queer the q christian fellowship for um hosting our first ever live podcast episode for saved oh, that was also um, cool. Very yeah, cool that was also wonderful and you can if you become a patreon supporter you can check out that episode yeah, yeah. um and then one just to say our our season was going to be one episode longer we're going to have the film nope by jordan peele 2022 uh that's going to be forthcoming yeah it's a great movie we already watched it we did a lot of the prep but then life stuff happened like literally the day we're going to record it so we had to postpone it and just haven't found a time to post to bring it back but we're gonna have a fun guest on that one so stay tuned um that should come out probably season five ish so yeah Okay, uh, now I guess we can end this episode by going through uh, what's coming up for season five and when it's going to start. Mm-hmm. That's your hint. <laughs> so it's going to start at a very auspicious time. <laughs> no, but first you got to say what the theme is. It's our theme season. Well, I was just going to say, it's it's starting Holy Week. So the first episode drops Holy Week. So it's going to be very auspicious uh, uh, April 6th. But yes, our theme is ghosts. Ghosts. And our franchise is Ghostbusters. Ghostbusters. 
anyway. Um, so I'm really excited for this franchise. Again, not necessarily. It's a horror comedy franchise. Uh, so not quite as scary as Nightmare on Elm Street. But we're going to have a few scary movies peppered mm-hmm. in there. So don't worry too mm-hmm. much. I um, even picked one of the scary movies. Oh, it's true. It's true. Intentional. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we're so we're starting April sixth. Holy, week. we're gonna have a lot of guests. I'm not gonna name the guests yet because some of that stuff still needs to be scheduled and stuff. But we already have a few yeses from really exciting guests, so I'm really excited for all the awesome people we're gonna have on season five. Mm-hmm. But starting April sixth with something that's not quite ghost themed, but Holy Week themed, we have. <gasps> Jesus Camp. Jesus Camp. I think it's horrific. 2006 documentary about a Christian camp. I'm not going to say too much more about that, but that's what we're kicking off the season with. Yeah, definitely does the doc ties it. But yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but then we're jumping right in after that to our ghosts uh, movies with The Changeling, which came out 1980. So the same year as The Shining and Terror Train. Mm, yeah and then and i'm yeah and then ghostbusters uh, yeah which came out in 1984 the same year as children of the corn and nightmare on elm street mm-hmm. <laughs> indeed and then the sixth sense which came out in 1996 right and that's one of the ones you picked it is um and then ghostbusters 2 came out in 89 mm-hmm. and then devil's backbone which it's one of my picks. Came out two thousand one. I think this is this to this day. I still say it's one of the scariest movies I've ever seen. So we will Ooh. see how poor Emily <laughs> survives this movie. Indeed, definitely will be watching it in the day. I know that much. Yep. <laughs> um, and then Ghostbusters: Answer the Call came out in two thousand sixteen. Um, decidedly the best of the franchise. Which they say without even having seen Ghostbusters. After Literally life, but... any of the other ones. You haven't seen any of them? I mean, I I think I've seen parts of them, like on TV. Oh, gosh. But no. <laughs> oh, gosh. I didn't even know that. Have you seen 2016's Ghostbusters, though? Absolutely. I own that. Okay. So that's the one you have seen. It's the yeah. rest you have. Okay. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I love that one. Uh, I have opinions about that movie, but overall, I like it. We'll get there. Um, mm-hmm. Oh, and then... Casper, which came out in 1994. Right, right. Which is one that we, we I'm pretty sure we both done. picked because yeah. we both loved, <laughs> loved that movie and knew we had to cover it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and then Ghostbusters Afterlife, which came out, well, at this point, two years ago, but I almost said last year, uh, 2021. I didn't uh, Which Emily did not even know out. existed <laughs> until... <laughs> They're like the newest Ghostbusters is my favorite. And I was like, I thought you liked the um one with the all woman uh cast, and you're like, yeah, that one. I was like, that's not the newest one. Yeah, it's almost like there was a pandemic, and it came out during a pandemic, and I was like, <laughs> what is life? Yeah. Um, and then the next one is Ghost that came out in 1990, which I have not seen, and it is my other pick. Patrick Swayze and Demi Moore. Doing pottery. And I was going to say, all I know about it is pottery. <laughs> <laughs> and then we're going to cover Candyman, the 2019 mm-hmm. film, which um, 
we'll have to do a movie comment commentary on the original Candyman ahead of that. So just know if you're a patron supporter, that's where you will get that. But the twenty mm-hmm. so because the twenty nineteen Candyman does such a good job of making that first Candyman like better and more and mm-hmm. like retrospectively and stuff. So there'll be a lot of talking about that one when we get there. So we um, have to do it as a movie commentary because I have not seen it. Yep, yep. <laughs> and then we I end with our that. retrospective. Mm-hmm. And somewhere in there will be nope. We just don't know where it will fall um yet. And um I I feel like before the ghost season starts, we might have to actually come up with our drinking game. Because right now all we have on the drinking game is if Emily has not seen the movie before and is has just watched it for the first time for this but i feel like that's enough just to make everyone drunk because that's you always are guaranteed a shot there almost every episode but then it's just one we need something for you at least yeah yeah no i I mean if you go back pace watched it before the age of nine (laughs) (laughs) emily has never seen it before pace watched it before the age of nine Done. We don't want to give people like liver poisoning there, but yeah, <laughs> um, yeah, that's that's a possibility. I mean, you can also go back to like the depths and dregs of our podcast, like early, early, early on, um, when <laughs> with the former coast when there was the drinking when we first made a drinking game, um, so you can see some of my stuff there. But I don't talk about Foucault or uh, Luther as much as I used to on the podcast, so yeah. I don't think it applies as much as it used to. That's why I'm saying we might need to like do a reboot because none of my stuff. I'm, is I'm all there. for it. So if I'm you all have, for it. Ooh, if we have a really a bad, good. awkward transition, take a yes. shot. <laughs> yep. Um, dear listeners, if you have ideas about what should be on this drinking game, let us know. I feel like at some point you and I are going to have to like have the drinking game during the podcast. And be like, oh God. just to see how it goes. It if we so come up wasted. with like a really good drinking game, but just so there are wasted. so many possibilities, dear listeners. Please help us have. Anytime Emily or Pace says false binary, take a yes. shot. Yes. Yep. Yep. Yeah. So false, so. false <laughs> binaries, bad transitions. Favorite kill being the asshole. <laughs> but see that that becomes just like these are going to happen every episode. So is it as much a drinking game, or is it just like a? It's actually well, happening. So the false binary and the bad transition could happen multiple times. That's Other true. stuff is just like it can only happen once, right? Mm-hmm. Per episode. Mm-hmm. And so I like that. Um, that space. Yeah. So we've started. Help us finish this drinking game. Please, dear listeners, let us know. We maybe need to put it on the social. Yeah, yeah. Um, and one other thing I want to say about season five is with the launch of season five in April, mm-hmm. we'll be launching a new tier on Patreon mm-hmm. for $10 a month. There'll be more information about that forthcoming. But so just exciting. know, it is very exciting. Trust me, you want to be a 10 supporter. Trust mm-hmm, me. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. I, I have had a glimpse into that entails. <laughs> it's worth if you it. Want, if you want a recommendation from pace or a recommendation of what vampirina episode to watch from emily <laughs> that might you might be able to get that if you're a ten dollar patreon mm-hmm, supporter mm-hmm, so we'll see yeah anyway all right well that is it for our show 
Our theme music was by Matt May, who also edited this episode. Horror Nerds at Church releases every Thursday. Please comment, rate, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts. Support us on Patreon and get access to exclusive movie commentary episodes, BooTube episodes, and more bonus content by going to patreon.com slash church. It's only $5 to sign up, which is cheaper than all of the therapy you need to handle your nightmares. <laughs> Follow us on social media, Facebook and Instagram at Horror Nerds at Church and Twitter at HNACPOD for all the latest updates about upcoming films, news, and other announcements. Until next time, don't fall asleep. Dun, dun, dun. <laughs> Until next time, I see dead people. Because that's what's going to happen next season. Indeed, indeed. Thank you.